encouragement in belonging to Christ. Any comfort from his love? Yes and amen, I would say. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out uh, only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And these are profound words. Some people think this could be him. It may or may not be, but they are profound. Listen to this. This is the attitude of Christ. That though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God has elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name which is above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we're talking about building a kingdom culture, creating a new kind of culture, a culture that is contrary to this world, a, a, con, a, a culture that brings something of the heart of God, not only into our own experience, but carries it out into the world in which we find ourselves. So we become also kingdom or culture influencers and changers. Say, I am called to be, called to be. A, kingdom a kingdom culture changer. I am called to influence this world with the culture of the kingdom of God. It calls on people who know their God and who God has made them to be, and in the right sense, who are big people in God. Not big people as the world sees it, but big people in God. People who know their God, people who, who know who they are in God, people who know how God has gifted and equipped them. Not people with grasshopper mentalities, but a people, a body committed to working out the values of the kingdom, of a kingdom culture, and bringing something of heaven to earth. And we can start in our own personal lives, in our own relationships, in our marriages, in our, in our families, and then out beyond that into our workplaces. So the word that we're talking is impact, talking about impacts the whole of life. God wants us to know the kingdom culture and he wants us to be cultures, culture influencers. And um, one thing that is so essential is this big, big subject. The subject of humility and servanthood. We, we live essentially in an arrogant world. And even as I come to speak about this, I, I, I feel that I'm, I'm treading on dangerous ground because I know the pride that is in my own heart and that I have to deal with. And that's an enemy of our souls, really, throughout the whole of our lives. 
and what that pride can do to us and what it can prevent us from being as the people of God. And so I come to this subject myself as someone who, who feels I, I'm constantly having to learn to humble myself. I'm constantly having to learn to go lower. I look back on some of my Christian past and I think, goodness me, sometimes I was an arrogant so-and-so. Sometimes I, I thought I knew so much, but as I'm getting older, I think I've got so much to learn. I've got so much to learn. So in many ways, I'm a proud man learning day by day to be humble. I, I want to be in that place where God can make me and use me as he wills. But that involves me going low. And it's contrary to the spirit of this world. Uh, uh, the spirit of this world is one of pride. It, the nature of this fallen world is to assert the self. We're all familiar with Frank, Frank Sinatra's song, I did it, which way? My way. I did it my way. And so in the world we find it's all about the assertion of the self. People today are actually proud of their pride, which is probably not a good place to be. And it's celebrated in business, it's celebrated in the media, it's celebrated in arts. You can find it everywhere. And humility is usually seen as weakness. Who wants to be humble? If you want to get anywhere, be somebody, climb on somebody. It doesn't matter what you do, so long as you get where you want to go and do what you want to do. That's the culture of our world. And to understand humility, we, we must understand pride. If we can go back a slide, thank you. To understand humility, we need to understand pride. And you, you see, just in the word there and the way the graphic is, what makes pride, pride? It is I. It is a big I. And we'll touch on more of that in a moment. But I just want to list for you uh, something of what pride is, is all about. And I, I just sat down, I, I just began to go through, think about some things, and, and the list is, is a long one. But in order to understand humility, we have to understand something of the nature of pride and how it works. And the Bible certainly has a lot to say about it. It was the original sin. And if you go back to uh, Isaiah, which many people think in Isaiah 14 portrays Lucifer, who, who we now understand as Satan, as the fallen one, we see him lifting himself up five times. I, 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 I. And out of that flows the temptation ultimately to Adam and Eve to believe in the I and to assert themselves over and above God. And so pride is the initial sin. It is that which has caused us to fall. It is that which is part of our broken, fallen human nature. It was the original sin. It's seen working itself out. You read the Bible in the affairs of individuals, in the affairs of families, in the affairs of nations and in the affairs of culture itself. You, you read of stories of Nebuchadnezzar, King um, Uzziah, and Israel, and a host of others. The, the, the problem that pride causes. And what I love about this book is it's, it's raw. It doesn't paint a, a holier picture than people really are. It shows us people in the raw. 
And I'm glad about that because I know what I'm like in the raw. I know what goes on in here that you don't know what goes on in here. But God knows. And so pride is, a, is an awful thing because it's in the heart of fallen humanity. It's the heart of sin itself. And, and so I'm just going to run through a list here of some of the things about pride. Pride tends towards self-sufficiency. I can do it. I don't need you or anyone else to help me, advise me, or speak into my life. Pride says, I'm right, and you're wrong, and is always out to win the argument. It never wants to lose. Pride puts others down in order to lift itself up, to make that person feel better about themselves. Pride finds it very difficult to listen to the ideas of others. Pride leads to false assumptions, and it jumps to wrong conclusions. During my study, I listened to a TED talk by a professional who said that in the course of her business, because of her intellect, because of her ability, she would be listening to people who came to her for a particular need, a particular situation. And the big danger for her was to say, ah, yes, I, I know all about you. I know all about your situation. I have the answer. Just listen to me. And she said, I am learning to ha that I have to go down, that I have to humble myself. This was a professional. The danger... Pride leads to false assumptions and jumps to wrong conclusions. Pride finds it hard to congratulate others on their own achievements. Pride finds more easily the faults in others and is blind to its own. Pride finds it very difficult to say, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Pride finds it difficult to serve unless there is some benefit in it for me. Pride is self-serving and sees certain tasks as below its dignity. Oh, I could never do that. Let somebody else do that. Pride requires the subservience of others, not their equality, and it seeks to control by intimidation, manipulation, and domination. Pride leads to the spirit of complaint and fault-finding. Pride does not build relationships or community. It divides them. Pride is arrogant. It's overbearing. And it's aggressive. Pride, in its preoccupation with the self, gives rise to or intensifies our emotional problems. And to quote Gordon Alpert, a Harvard psychologist, he says that most neuroses are from the point of view of religion, mixed with the sin of pride. And I tell you, you could actually make the list longer. I turned to a book uh, after I'd done that, and I discovered more. But that's sufficient to see something of the nature of pride and how it works in our human lives, in our relationships. And I'd be surprised if one of those didn't cut you one way or another. That as I went through them, there wasn't some measure of, ouch, that's me. 
that's me. That's how I speak. That's how I behave. That's how I react. C.S. Lewis uh, says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. It's pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began, he says in mere Christianity. Jonathan Edwards, a, a revivalist of the past, not the more recent jumper, but a revivalist of many, many years ago, said the first and worst cause of errors that abound in our day and age is, is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. Pride is the main handle by which he has hold of Christian persons and the chief source of all the mischief that he introduces to clog and hinder a work of God. Unless this disease is cured, medicines are applied in vain to heal all other diseases. And so you see how pride is at, root, at the root of so much that goes on in the human heart. Pride is deadly. Really, really deadly. Martin Luther King said, a man, and this, may, this, may, this, this pushes it even further, he says, a man may be self-centered in his self-denial and self-righteous in his self-sacrifice. His generosity may feed his ego and his piety his pride. That shows you something of the insidious nature of this thing called pride. What it does to us. Thomas Tarrant says this, he says, if your pride causes you to exalt yourself, you are painting a target on your back and inviting God to open fire, and he will. Oh. Oh. Have you got a target on your back this morning? Quickly humble yourself. Humble yourself. You know, there's a saying that goes, uh, was heard many years ago, and we don't hear it very often today, about the way God works in people to call them and enable them and to use them. And it says this, in order for God to use a man, he must break a man. And what it is, is pride. Because pride is so dangerous. And it's a painful road to walk. And you only have to turn, open your Bible and go to Proverbs and various other scriptures and you can find that the Bible says a lot about pride. In your own time, go and do that. Look it up, look and see some of the other verses that are available in the scriptures there. And so what is our response? It's to, to recognize it. It's to humble ourselves and to repent of it. Recognize and recognize alongside it the importance the, uh, and place of humility. John Stott said this, he said, pride is your greatest enemy, but humility is your greatest friend. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to be humble in an arrogant world. We need to learn what it is to humble ourselves. And when I say humble, I'm not thinking of Uriah Heep in Charles Dickens. Anyone know the story? 
I'm ever so humble. Oh, I can't do it like he does in that smarmy, creepy sort of kind of voice. You know, he's ever so humble. But really, he's as arrogant as the next person. He's demanding. He wants control. He's somebody, after all. So we're not talking about that kind of false humility. John Chrysostom, a a father of old, one of the church fathers, said, Humility is a root, mother, nurse, foundation, and bond of all virtue. So in other words, if you want to grow in the other Christian virtues, grow in humility. Learn how to walk in humility. To walk humbly with God. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says this, But this is the one to whom I will look to the humble and contrite in spirit who trembles at my word. The proud do not tremble at the word of God. They sit in judgment over it and say, oh, this doesn't apply to me. It's not for today. This is not me. And so they sit in judgment on the word. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, and you can also see James and 4 verse 6, clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you want more grace in your life, the secret is in humbling yourself. Because he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. Humility, what it's not, I've already made one reference there to Uriah Heap, but it's not about thinking badly about yourself, it's uh, being a a worthless worm or having a poor self-image. It's not that at all. In fact, very often when we get into that way of thinking, we're thinking quite highly of ourselves because we're making comparisons and we're drawing conclusions. And it's not about trying to hide your accomplishments or pretend that it wasn't you. You may have heard of the story Uh, of the lady who uh, one day in a church gathering gave an amazing solo. I mean, it was just beautiful, beautiful uh, solo. And and someone went up to her her afterwards and and said to her, that that was amazing, you have such an amazing voice. And and she said, "Oh, oh, oh, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was the Lord. To which the person replied, I thought I saw your lips moving. You see, that's a false kind of humility. The right humility there would have been to say, thank you, and to God be the glory. It is God who's given that gift. Proper recognition. So it's not about hiding our accomplishments or pretending it wasn't us. It's the right view of ourselves, our gifts, our abilities, recognizing it all from God. Look at Romans chapter 5. You know, about making the right assessment of yourself, not more highly not more lonely, etc. It's not about being a doormat, a walkover. For some people, that's their image of humility. It's allowing people just to walk all over you. There to be used and abused, that is not humility. And humility is nothing about being weak or indecisive. So, going back to our scripture, the answer is to look at Jesus. Because Paul, in writing to the Philippians, he he obviously writes recognizing that they need to hear this, that there's a measure of pride within the Philippian community. And so he says, don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take in an interest in others too. And you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So he pointed them to the one who had saved them. He pointed them to Jesus. So the Philippians had a problem with pride. Paul points them to Jesus. And you can be sure that when you get arrogant in heart and mind, you are moving away from Jesus. And one of the ways of dealing with pride is to get as close to Jesus as you can possibly be. To look at him, to gaze upon him, to know him, to understand him. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One of the things that the world struggle with is that God is a humble God. And I say that referring to God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not just Jesus. That the nature of the God that we believe in is not an arrogant, controlling, possessive individual, but rather a gracious and loving, humble God. And we must be careful how we image God to the world. Jesus, who is very God, humbled himself. If we can go to the next slide, thank you. And you have this powerful image we'll be thinking about as we move into the Christmas season, that Jesus, who was God, let's, let's be clear of that, he didn't become God, he was God. One with the Father and with the Spirit from eternity. Jesus, who was God, deigns to leave all that he has with the Father and the Spirit in glory to take on human flesh, to become resident in material that he has created. Now, I, I, I find that difficult to comprehend that. But that is the nature of our God. He didn't just send us a message from far away and throw us a life belt. He came to where we are. He stooped right down, right down, right down, right down into this broken, fallen world. So Paul says he takes on sinful flesh. He humbles himself. And ultimately, he goes to a cross. A cross something that was so horrendous in the day and age in which it was used wasn't used for every kind of criminal. This was used for the worst kinds. And Jesus was obedient even unto death upon a cross. He humbled himself. If you notice all the time, it was obedience to the Father was listening to the Father's voice from the day he was born 
through his life, ultimately to his death. So we need to learn to look at Jesus. An old song we used to sing years ago, to be like Jesus, all I ask to be like you, from earth to glory, all I ask to be like you. How many of us say, I want to be like you, Jesus? How many understand in saying that or singing that, understand what we're praying or what we're singing? To be like you. To be like you. There's a quote here that I have no idea what the source is, but it's staggering. And it says this, that some never get started on their destiny because they cannot humble themselves to learn, grow, and change. That, that is a staggering quote. Some never get started on their destiny because they cannot humble themselves to learn, grow, and change. Bill Johnson says, false humility will keep us from our destiny. True humility will take us to it. So true humility is recognizing who God is, what he's done, who he's made us to be. As 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And let me say this, whatever you do, don't pray to be humbled. Because you know what will happen? You will be humiliated. Scripture says, humble yourselves. Take the path of humility. So when you understand humility, you begin to see a whole lot more how servanthood works out. Don't you? And so, thinking about servanthood, true humility will lead us to servanthood. We will want to serve. It doesn't stand to one side. It gets its hands dirty. Again, it's contrary to the spirit of the world because so often the, the spirit of the world is, what's in it for me? If I do this, how's it going to do something for me? What am I going to get out of it? And again, you go back to Jesus and Jesus says that he came to serve, not to be served. He came to serve. Jesus knew who he was, was sure of who he was, and he was able to serve. And you think of various stories in Scripture. And this particular one where he washes the disciples' feet. Here, suddenly, is the King of the universe, the Creator, the Lord of glory. And he takes a bowl, he takes a towel, and he kneels. At the foot of a fallen and broken man, and he takes his dusty feet. They weren't clean feet like ours. Just had a bath. They were dirty. They were dusty feet. And he picks them up and he puts them in water and he washes those feet. 
This is our Jesus. This is our example. He took on human flesh, human form. He lived where we are. He served those that he had created and for whom he was going to die. And that was his ultimate serving because he came in order to go to that cross to take our sin, to take the judgment for that sin, to bear it on the cross so that we could be forgiven. But not just forgiven, so that we could become the people that God intends us to be. Not just forgiven and have our home in glory, but forgiven and made new and be gifted and enabled to serve the purposes of God in our generation. This is our God, the servant king. So he died in our place on the cross. That pride, it will always be something we have to fight. Always. In fact, you're in a dangerous place if you think you have defeated pride. We don't get paranoid about it. We do need to be aware of it. And now that it impacts on all other Christian virtues. And our responsibility is to humble ourselves. To clothe ourselves with humility. And that involves us being honest with God. And telling God like it really is. God, I'm really sorry, but I took your glory there. I took that which only belonged to you, and I took it to myself. And I delighted in it, and it fed my my ego. I'm sorry. I took the supremacy, and in taking the supremacy, I took your glory. It's not that God's an egoist. It's that God knows how dangerous it is for us. So if there's pride in your heart this morning in any way, and it may be that pride is... You see, pride infects. It's in fact maybe affecting, infecting a marriage. I'm right. You're wrong. Failing to recognize that actually you need to humble yourself. Say, sorry, it was me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have reacted in that way. You see, this is this really touches the core of our lives. It really, really does. You see, it impacts on every kind of relationship, whether it's, it's marriage, whether it's family, sibling, whether it's community group, whether it's here, whatever. And so to understand the culture of humility is a big thing. But just imagine... What our lives, our marriages, our families, 
our church can be like if we learn to clothe ourselves with humility. And in learning to clothe ourselves with humility, we're looking out for one another. Not because of what's in it for me, but because I'm interested in them. Because I, I, I want to see God's goodness in their life. I want to see them be all that God wants them to be. And if they run ahead of me, so what? It's all his glory anyway, isn't it? Can we put up the, I think it's the second to last slide, and we'll just stand up, and we'll, we'll make this declaration together. So let me ask you the question, what kind of culture are you modeling in your life, at home, in your working environment, in your neighborhood? What are you modeling? Is it a culture of humility and servanthood? Or is it one of pride and serving yourself? So let's declare this together, shall we, as we draw to close. We, as God's holy ones, his family, a colony of heaven on earth, are called to walk in humility and servanthood in our homes and in our church and carrying it out into the world and so bring heaven's influence on earth. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Holy Spirit, I guess every one of us feels some ouch in this word because of the insidious pride that we find within our hearts. Help us to walk the path of humility and find the way of servanthood that we might usher in more of your kingdom and your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I love Jesus-centered preaching, don't you? Thank you, Richard. Tonight we have a, a prayer meeting where it's going to be in.